Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Freesia Fiscal First Quarter 2022 Earnings Report. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will provide instructions for the question and answer session to follow. First, I would like to introduce Balaji Gandhi, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations for Freesia. Mr. Gandhi, you may begin. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, and welcome to Freesia's earnings conference call for the fiscal first quarter of 2022, which ended on April 30th, 2021. Joining me on today's call are Frisia's Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder, Haim Indig, and Chief Financial Officer, Randy Rasmussen. Complete disclosure of our results can be found in our earnings press release issued yesterday evening, as well as in our related Form 8K submission to the SEC. Our 8K filing includes the first installment of our quarterly stakeholder letter which we are implementing to provide additional information about Freesia during the quarter in advance of our earnings call to provide greater efficiency to our earnings reporting process for the benefit of our stakeholders. All these documents are available on the Investor Relations section of our website at ir.freesia.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded and a replay will be available following the conclusion of the call. During today's call, we will make forward-looking statements within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Act and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act. Although we believe that the expectations reflected in these forward-looking statements are reasonable, these statements relate to future events or our future operational or financial performance and involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause our actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by these forward-looking statements. Furthermore, actual results may differ materially from those described in the forward-looking statements and will be affected by a variety of risks and factors that are beyond our control, including, without limitation, statements about our future financial performance, including our revenue, cash flows, cost of revenue, and operating expenses, our anticipated growth, our predictions about our industry, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business, and our ability to attract, retain, and cross-sell to healthcare provider clients. Statements are also subject to other risks and uncertainties, including those more fully described in our filings with the SEC, including in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q that will be filed with the SEC later today. The forward-looking statements made on this call speak only as of the date on which the statements are made, we undertake no obligation to update and expressly disclaim the obligation to update any forward-looking statements to reflect events or circumstances after the date of this call or to reflect new information or the occurrence of unanticipated events except as required by law. We will also refer to certain financial measures not in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles in order to provide additional information to investors. Non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation from our GAAP results. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP results may be found in our earnings press release and supplemental materials, which were furnished with our Form 8K filed after the markets closed on June 3rd with the SEC, and may also be found on our investor relations website at ir.freesia.com. As a reminder, we are participating on today's call from three different locations, so we appreciate your patience with us. I will now turn the call over to our CEO, Haim Indig. Thank you, Balaji. All of us at Frisia are looking forward to entering the summer with the hope 
that the biggest hardships of the pandemic are behind us. We carry the momentum from our strong finish in fiscal 2021 into the first quarter of fiscal year 2022. I hope everyone has had a chance to review our earnings press release and quarterly letter. Operator, can we open the call up for Q&A, please? At this time, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that would be star 1 on your telephone keypad. First question comes from Ann Samuel from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Congrats on a great quarter, and thanks for the new format. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I was, you know, hoping you could maybe talk a little bit about um, balancing um, investment and growth because you've been investing a lot in your growth this year. It's really starting to show up nicely um, in the results. But, um, you know, how should we be thinking about, you know, moving forward, um, you know, leveraging the P&L on, on, a, on a faster growth rate? Yeah, so uh, thanks. I'll take that question. Um, I guess before I start, Hein, do you want to say anything? No, no, go ahead, Randy. Yeah, I think um, as we look uh, long-term, uh, we really um, – it's important that we invest in our business as we bring on new clients. So we support the current growth we have, and we look forward to the growth that we have in the, the coming year and, and the next year that follows. And we really look at these investments from a capital allocation perspective and say, uh, does it make sense for our business and will it grow the top line? I think in the longer term, uh, we still have a, a goal of uh, 20% EBITDA margins, but we look out farther to, to reach that goal. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, maybe just one on, you know, the, the move into the acute market. Um, just wondering if maybe you could give us a little bit of color on how intake looks different there, um, maybe relative to some of the ambulatory clients you have today, and how we should be thinking about um, how that will impact your um, PPPM. I would imagine it's a little bit more complex. Uh, it, the workflow and the use cases, Annie, in the acute hospital market are very, very different than the ambulatory workflows. You have a, a high number of unscheduled patients, which makes a ton of sense. You need to have tools to be able to identify which patients are coming in to which records. Uh, you have to be able to triage emergency issues um, so that you instantly stop any type of intake if there's any type of critical health condition. And how and when you ask for dollars is very, very different. And frankly, sort of the flows are different, right? So you get massive peaks early in the morning uh, as people come in for surgery. So we've really been investing heavily in being able to manage all the variability in these hospital workflows. One of the, one of the other things we've seen in the hospital too is people often, and it's a huge customer experience issue, right? It, you might go into a hospital for multiple appointments, right? You might have to go in and get your, if you broke your leg, you might go in to see the doctor and then they'll send you to get an x-ray. And the experience of having to check in each time and fill out the same paperwork every time is also something we've solved for. So it's a, it, there's, it's a multifaceted, complex um, visit or visits that you go to, and, and we've really been investing heavily in those. And it, yes, it has changed the profile of our customers. Great. Very helpful. Congrats on a great quarter, guys. Thanks, Amy. And your next question will come from Ryan Daniels from William Blair. Your line is open. 
Yeah, guys, thanks for taking the questions and agree with the new format. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, Hi, one for you. If you think about the market reopening on the ambulatory side, I'm curious what that's doing to your pipeline. I think consumers, you know, post-COVID definitely have different expectations for digital health and convenience and touchless check-ins. Are you starting to see that manifest aggressively in the pipeline? I think we have seen the interest in what we've been doing every year for the past 15 years grow, Ryan. And, you know, I'm, I, I sort of look at this as something that I believe most consumers have been expecting, and now they demand. And so we have seen um, consumer interest rapidly change, but also I think there's another dynamic happening in healthcare right now that I think is really important, which is those, those conversations that everyone are having is having around wages going up a buck or two, well, it's happening at the front desk, too. Our, when we talk to our clients, they're having a hard time filling those seats that they need to fill, and the salaries are going up. So they're also being forced to look for technology and productivity tools to give them the operating leverage. Because unlike Chipotle, you can't raise your prices. Right? It's just not possible. So we're, we're also seeing it, just a ton of demand for practices um, and healthcare organizations, health systems, trying to figure out how to get operating leverage. And so it's, it's been very, we, we've seen it sort of come from all, all sides. And that's one of the reasons why we're investing so heavily. Yeah, and that, that, I appreciate that. And that leads to my next question. As they do change their focus and really need to, you know, drive engagement, drive satisfaction, increase operating margins, clearly a huge amount of challenges in that end market. Are there any specific products of yours that are resonating more than others um, outside of the core module or any areas that you think you can invest in to further drive uh, those efficiencies for providers? Thanks, guys. I've got to say, Ryan, I'm a little biased. I think all of the things we do drive massive value to some very, like some part of the market. And if we didn't think they were valuable, we wouldn't be investing in them. And across the, across the, war, the board, we're trying to move work to the patient. And whether that's appointments or whether that's putting someone on a payment plan or whether that's, you know, automating consent forms or taking your picture, like these are all things that just frankly, it's about time that it happened. And we're pretty excited that we could help make the difference. And, and to clarify, I don't think they're trying to improve margins. I think they're trying to maintain them, right? I think running a healthcare organization in America is a tough business. And we're just trying to do whatever we can to help them. Nice. And your next question will come from Ryan McDonald from Needham. Your line is open. Uh, thanks for taking my question, and congrats on a great quarter. Um, I would be curious to hear how uh, QDoctor is starting to resonate in, uh, in, in with your customers and in conversations you're having for expansion opportunities. So, uh, you know, QDoctor was an acquisition we made uh, this end of last fiscal year. Uh, we've since you know, integrated the product offering to a bunch of our different offerings. Uh, one of their core off, one of their core pieces, it's now called Accelerator as part of our offering. And it's been, it's been very, very well accepted by our client base and by net new clients. And that team has just been a wonderful addition to Frisia. I, I you know, in turn, like as I see what we're doing, I can't tell where 
their product is in Frisia anymore just because a lot of the things that they were doing and are doing are now just becoming part of the core offering. So we're really excited. Um, we couldn't have asked for uh, a better team to, to join us, and uh, it's, we were very happy with the early, the early days of it. Excellent. And as a follow-up, um, you know, you saw some really great uh, growth in, in, in new clients in the quarter. Uh, you know, you've obviously made a lot of investments in this area with addition of SDRs. Can you talk about what's driving, you know, that improved productivity? Is it is it sort of just those SDRs getting up to speed more quickly than you expected or, or perhaps sales tactics that are maybe more effective in the marketplace than, say, they were 12 months ago? Thanks. I, you know, we – continue to invest in our go-to-market initiatives, whether it's SDRs and sales folks and in um, implementation, our customer success team. And I think it's the reason we're, we had the quarter we had is all of those teams across the board, you know, really leaned into our go-to-market. And they're just incredible individuals that work really, really well together. That our SDR team is, we think, one of the best around, um, at least in healthcare. And uh, as a SaaS organization, we're going to keep investing in it. We're over 140 SDRs now. And I, the only sad thing is I haven't met most of them in person. And I, and I look, forward to, uh, look forward to meeting them. But they're, they're doing a great job. Our sales org is doing a great job. The implementation team is doing a great job. And our CSM org just keeps growing, too. And we keep investing in making sure that we do right by our clients. Excellent. Congrats again. Thanks, Mike. Your next question will come from Scott Skolenhaas from Stevens. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Um, hi, I'm Randy and uh, Balaji. Congrats on the excellent results. Um, I guess my first question is on the revenue guidance. If you could provide any color on the kind of breakdown in growth between provider clients versus revenue for provider clients that's baked into the guide for the year. Um, that would be helpful, particularly given both stats really accelerated this quarter. Yes, Scott, thanks, thanks for the question. I think when you look at our revenue outlook, uh, we're, we're guiding on the top line. We don't uh, provide uh, guidance on the average number per provider client or the average revenue per provider client. I think, you know, one thing to keep in mind, you know, we raised the low end of the guidance from $178 million to $109 million, which is, you know, approximately $13 million on the, the low end of the guidance. And on the high end, we raised uh, the guidance from $186 million to $194 million, which is uh, approximately $8 million. And if you look at the high end of the revenue, uh, we're really talking about 30% year-over-year growth. And I think that there's a couple things to keep in mind as we, we look at the guidance. Um, you know, first on payment, you know, payment revenue is subject to seasonality as this revenue is driven by the volume that patients pay. Uh, and you also have to keep in mind that there's an annual rollover of insurance deductibles, so patient spending is higher earlier in the calendar year. And when we look at payments, um, remember last year with the, with the big COVID uh, impact where, you know, this quarter, it's higher due to increased level of payments compared to that quarter. And as we look, you know, at the remainder of this year, uh, there's still, you know, there's less predictability in patient volumes due to the disruption um, that we've experienced from, from COVID over the past 15 months. Thanks, Randy. That's helpful. 
Um, my next question is for um, Haim. You, you have uh, $450 million of cash on the balance sheet, Haim. What are your plans for uh, capital allocation? What are you seeing on the M&A front? Are you targeting more bolt-on software modules similar to um, your acquisition of QDoctor? Thank you. I think what we've done is we have a fairly rigid and thoughtful capital allocation thesis, and um, we've, we've explained it and taught it to all of our operators at a senior level, and we've said here's the things that matter to us, and here's how we're thinking about growing, and here's how it matters to all of our stakeholders. And, you know, please keep your eye out for things that help us do that, organically or inorganically. And I and if we we really continue to leverage the experience and knowledge of all of our leaders at Frisia, we have a better our opportunities for executing are just better. And integrating are better. And making you know, anything we do really have a shot of clear success. So, you know, our view is not do we have a lot of cash on the balance sheet? It's you know, whether it was two hundred million or three hundred million or four hundred and fifty million, like we we still have the same views on how we um, use the capital, and it's and it's really to be, to be used thoughtfully. Thank you, guys. Congrats on the results again. Cheers. Just a reminder, in the essence of time, if you could keep your questions to one, and then jump back in the queue for a second one, that would be great. Just for the, make sure we get everybody in to get their questions. Your next question comes from Donald Hooker from KeyBank. Your line is open. Uh, hey, uh, great. Good, good morning, uh, and congrats on the numbers in the quarter. Um, so you guys have a have a clearly have a land and expand strategy. So when I uh, can you help help us think about your current provider client base, maybe qualitatively or quantitatively? You have a little over 1,900 provider clients now. I think that compares to 1,600 or so last year. Any kind of difference in terms of the white space there now versus before? I know you're adding new types of clients, but just help help us think about kind of the white space opportunity and the new wave of provider clients. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll try to give some color to that. We've been adding clients, small, medium, large health systems. We've been landing health systems and large clients. We've been expanding them aggressively. But we wouldn't have been able to have the quarter we had if it wasn't, you know, the entire, like, we, we you know, I'd just say the organization fired on all cylinders this quarter and uh, being able to take practices of, and health systems and organizations of all sizes live and support them and also to cross-sell and upsell. So I, I, I can't, Don, I can't express that, like, it's just the plethora. We would not have been able to have the quarter we had if we hadn't, you know, seen the full gamut. It's mostly been ambulatory, but we've also taken a fair number of hospitals live. So I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just been, it was just a really, really intense quarter. And I'm really proud of this organization. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Hey, your next question will come from Joe Vrink from Baird. Your line is open. Oh, great. Uh, hi, everyone. Hi. There was a comment in the shareholder letter about being impressed with new products coming from DR&D Org at Frisia. And then separately, David Linetsky was on a podcast recently just discussing all the ways Frisia 
has been able to engage patients in a, a more personalized way. Uh, I guess my question, do you think the company's platform has achieved a certain scale and network where the feedback loop is now accelerating and this drives faster innovation? All right. So that was like a, you stuck in like four questions there. Um, it was pretty impressive. It's actually very impressive. So I'll try to answer a couple of them uh, without getting too many uh, angry emojis from Balaji uh, to give everyone their turn. Um, so I, I think that, uh, David Planetsky, um, he is articulating something that we have seen, which is our ability to deliver very targeted healthcare messages that are relevant to people and be able to, to understand and communicate with them is starting to really pay off. And those are investments we've been making for, for years and we've been fairly open about them, like whether it's 2A chat or, you know, our investments in data science, investments and be able to engage them in data collection or appointments or you know, enrolling in programs, it's like it's what we've been saying is it's working and we're going to keep investing in it because both it it makes the product better, it makes the healthcare experience better, it provides a phenomenal ROI to all of our stakeholders. And, you know, I I really think the, the organization has just embraced the idea that we are moving towards a scale capacity where we can do things that you couldn't do before as a smaller business. And in terms of investing in new product, we're good. The, the R&D investment that we're making is really because we believe that if you build great product and put it in the hands of people, you drive great return, they become happy clients, and you get to monetize that. And the more times we do that, the more times that thesis is proved correct. And, you know, we get to monetize it with our subscription and payments and our life sciences clients, and it's been really it's been very wonderful to see the net effect of just a great product organization tied to our go-to-market team, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Great. Uh, thank you very much. Cheers. And your next question will come from John Ransom from Raymond James. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good morning. Um, so if we think about the guidance raise X to B, just about – $5 million at the midpoint, um, is that, just talk about, I know you don't break out revenue, but I'm just curious, the seasonality, is the seasonality all fall pretty much on the payment side? Because that really, the, the amount of spending and the payment revenue is a big upside to our model. So should we infer from that there's some pull through and you're expecting a little bit of moderation because of some of the things that we mentioned? Yeah, John. Uh, I mean, the, the seasonality is primarily in the, the payment space, and as I mentioned, it, it's really driven on, you know, the way that patients pay, which is always higher at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, and, and you know, as I said before, you know, we did increase the uh, low end of the range by by thirteen million dollars. Okay, thank you. And your next question will come from Hannah Bates from DA Davidson. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question. It's great to see such success with both land and expand on the provider client side. What hiring plans do you have inside the sales organization to continue to support both new client wins as well as cross-sell and upsell? I think we're going to – I think we communicated that um, we're going to hire, you know, 
more SDRs. Those SDRs are going to transition into sales or the sales org and expect that to be fairly aggressive. We're going to continue to hire and invest in our, in our implementation and our CSM organizations, and we're going to continue to invest aggressively in our life sciences organization too. So, you know, it, at the same time that I, you know our marketing you know team has also done a great job of driving demand. So, you know, I, I'd say that you know look for investment. We're going to aggressively invest as fast as we can over the next handful of quarters. To, uh, to be able to continue to um, give ourselves uh, increased market share. Great, thanks. Your next question will come from Richard Close from Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Great, uh, thanks for the uh, uh, questions. Congratulations uh, on the quarter and the new format as well. So. Uh, I guess my first question here is on the, the pay, uh, payment facilitator volume percentage. You talk about that moderating. Um, can you just provide any context in terms of where you see that as, you know, maybe a normalized rate over time? Yeah, thank you, Richard, for the question. I, I think when you look at our payment facilitator you know, we have clients that uh, use us in different ways. You know, some of us, some of the clients use us to process the full payment, which goes through the payment facilitator model, and then others will just use us as a gateway. And, you know, we're picking up the, the revenue share based on, you know, payments that go through the payment facilitator model. You know, it really depends on, you know, the size of the, the practice and the, the health system on how they use us. And, uh, generally, uh, you know, larger uh, clients are using Gateway. So, you know, as we move um, to larger clients, we will see that that percentage drop. Okay. Um, and then, you know, maybe on the new products that you uh, discussed in the in the letter, I'm just curious. Um, with respect to vaccine management, uh, I know you provided some data in there, but I was curious if there was any other, um, you know, qualitative, um, I guess, information with respect to, you know, how that offering drove engagement um, by clients, customers, you know, those that used it versus those that didn't, and are you able to use that Type of information to go back to other clients and really, you know, illustrate, you know, the impact of something like that. You know, I think the way we think about it is, so yes, we do measure engagement. You know, we um, we measure usage, we measure uh, value, but but like at the end of the day, if you build really good products and they make a difference to patients and providers, you know. We're, we're doing the right thing, right? It's not always about, you know, taking one thing to another. Like, most of these providers are looking for us specifically to help them. You know, doing what they do is pretty hard. I, you know, I probably referenced in the letters what the team at Helpling said. Like, they, we just wanted to help them, especially around COVID. We just wanted to help people first test, then, you know, or first screen, then test. Then we wanted to make sure that we gave them the tools to get people in for vaccination. And 
now we really care about hesitancy. Like we want to make sure most of this population, we want to help them do everything they can to help this population of ours get vaccinated as fast as possible. Because it's just the right thing. I would like to go back to a pre, you know, world where we're not all wearing masks uh, unnecessarily. Great, thank you. Okay, congratulations. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Your next question will come from Jessica Tasson from Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for taking the question. Um, we're interested maybe if you could give an update in terms of where the opportunity lies uh, in the acute care market. So um, is there an opportunity on the payment processing or life sciences revenue side, um, or is the acute care market primarily an opportunity on the subscription and related services revenue side? Thanks. Uh, we mostly view the acute care opportunity as a today as a subscription uh, opportunity at around two billion dollars in available TAM, just from our own calculation. Does that mean we haven't or won't win some payments and won't do some work on our census? No, but the vast majority is subscription for us today. And if that changes, you know, we will communicate to our stakeholders why and how that's changed. Awesome. If I could just sneak in, maybe if you guys could provide any color on the acute care market assumptions underlying revised guidance or, or their contribution to revised guidance. Uh, hey, Jeff, this is Bilotti. Are, are you talking about the TAM that I'm referenced? No, just the win rate um, in the acute care market, the assumptions underlying that change to guidance. Yeah, that's that's not, you know, that's not something we've talked about, um, you know, I think we've just said, I think I Pearl in an earlier question just talked about the breadth that we saw in the quarter across all different areas and certainly have some, made some progress in, uh, in the acute care space as well, but I think that's really all, all, all we'll be uh, ready to share at this point. Got it. Thank you. And your next question will come from Sean Dodge from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. It's Thomas Keller on for Sean. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, just following up on the life sciences business, can you give us a sense of the mix dragging the strength now and how you expect to see it turning going forward? Uh, is it leaning more toward uh, effective targeting, new clients, or new campaigns from existing clients? Uh, any more clarity there would be helpful. So I think first and foremost, I think the strength is, continues to be delivered by just a phenomenal team. Right? So it's all, all through it, the life sciences org, whether it's our sales, our client, client team, um, our, our data scientists, you know, it, we've really, that's just been wonderful. It's just, they're wonderful just how they work together and how they work for their clients and our clients has been amazing. And then as we think about product investments, it's had a, just a meaningful payoff and we expect that to continue as we invest more in those products. And, you know, when we say investment, we think, you know, I sort of think about it out in years, not so much months, but we do expect uh, there to be continued growth in our life sciences org. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Cheers. The next question comes from Daniel Crosslight from City. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question, and I'll add my uh, congrats on a strong start to the year. 
I'd like to go back to the acceleration in payment volume you saw this quarter, particularly the warehousing effect we might have seen as patients that delayed care last year seem to be coming back um, stronger than expected. In your guidance, are you assuming this is kind of a one-time blip of, of a warehousing effect, or do you expect to see these sustained levels of, of high volume throughout the year? And I guess tangentially to that, um, are you seeing any benefit from from vaccinations? I know you're giving away the modules, vaccination modules for free, and, and patients don't bear responsibility for for their vaccination, but is there any secondary um, I- impact you might be seeing from uh, vaccinations? Thanks. So I'll start with the last bit, and then I'll let Randy answer all the other stuff. <clears throat> so I, I will keep stressing that the single biggest benefit we get is by doing the right thing. Um, and look, we had to deviate resources from other projects uh, to help uh, the vaccination effort, but I'd say the biggest benefit has been that we've helped our practices help their patients. And when you do the right thing, you know, I, and I think it's very important when you do the right thing, you, I believe more often than not, you get outside benefits, both from your team and from your clients. And we'll continue to try to do that. You know, and we've been able to, uh, and we've been able to do that. And I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty lucky that we're in a position uh, with stakeholders that have empowered us to be able to help everyone, you know, in a general sense. And yes, we do believe long term we will get benefits because this is a type of partnership that our clients want to work with, right? It, you know, people enter healthcare because they want to make a difference. Uh, Randy, what do you? Uh, yeah, Dan, I think your question was about um, seasonality and the year-over-year um, impact of, of payments. And I, I think when, when we look at it, I don't think we really know um, why the patient is coming back this particular quarter, if it's regular seasonality patterns that we see, uh, which is a, a major part of it, right, where there's higher payments of the patient responsibility in the earlier part of the year, um, there could be, um, you know, a delayed visit to the doctor, but but we really don't know. So I think when we look forward, you know, to the the rest of the year, um, you know, there's some unpredictability, you know, based on on the pandemic that that we've seen that's really you know disrupted you know patient visits over the past 15 months. Got it. Okay. So so on that unknown piece for the rest of the year, the assumption in your guidance is that. Um, we're not going to see the same amount of volume that you saw in, in 1Q in terms of growth acceleration. I get yeah, the reality. I don't know specific, you know, revenue lines, but there there is a seasonality factor where you know the payment revenue is, is higher in the in the first quarter. Yep, got it. All right, thanks, guys. And your next question will come from Stephanie Davis from SV. B. Learing, your line is open. Hey, guys. Congrats on the quarter, and thank you for taking my question. Since merchant acquiring tends to be viewed as more of a commodity with a relatively low level of stickiness, are you looking at any strategies to capture the merchant acquiring processing relationship with your acute clients, especially maybe taking advantage of the, um, the vendor consolidation trends that are going on in the hospital? 
And beyond that, could you look at, could you tell us through any of the uh, those expansions you're looking at for your solution suite to capture a larger share of the acute wallet? Uh, I snuck I into, so sorry, Balaji. <laughs> so I'll answer them sort of combined, which is I don't think we uh, make a point of articulating what our go-to-market strategies are uh, either during, before, or after, um, other than to say that I think we feel pretty comfortable that we've articulated, I think pretty clearly that we think in the acute market we won't be aggressively going after payments, um, not in the near term. And if anything changes, I promise we will. Um, we will communicate it. But look, I think that those relationships, right or wrong, are often tied up with very different folks in Treasury and often tied to lending arrangements with banks. And I think that's very different than what you often see in sort of the other verticalization of payments, right? Where you know, yeah. banks are still using their, you know, the large banks are still using their treasury relationships to try to capture the vast majority of uh, the payment revenue. So I, I think we're, one of the things we think is very important is to also acknowledge where we want to spend resources to win uh, share, right? And, you know, we think this is a huge market. And, you know, where we allocate resources and spend capital is an area where we think we could win share and market share aggressively with great returns. And a quick follow-up on that, there has been a lot of M&A in the payment side of the space, um, especially touching on, you know, the, the acute ambulatory system. Is there any impact to your strategy or possibly further market demand that's belying all of these deals? I don't think our strategy has changed whatsoever but we've known most of these companies for a decade. And, you know, so, no, I don't think our strategy has changed with M&A or the talk of M&A or the talk right. of M&A. We just keep doing Thank our you. thing. And it looks like our thing keeps working, so I'm going to have us keep doing our thing. And your next question will come from David Larson from BTIG. Your line is open. Hey, congratulations on a, a good quarter. Um, can you maybe just um, give a little more color around, you know, COVID-related um, impact to volumes? Like, are your physician office client volumes back up where they were pre-pandemic, or are they even slightly higher? And then with the sales force, I know that there was, like, uh, some hesitancy during the pandemic to call on the physician practices because they were busy dealing with COVID. Are all of your salespeople now still selling? And are they visiting the practices or is it still sort of remote? Thanks very much. Um, I think, let me clarify, like our, our salespeople have been out selling um, aggressively for quarters and they have not been on planes at all. So they're out on the phones, doing webcasts, and really uh, reaching out to practices, uh, health systems. And I don't think we would have had the quarters we had um, if our salespeople and our SDRs and our implementation team hadn't been aggressively working, you know, with practices to get them, you know, on Frisia. And so, look, I, I, guess, I don't know, like, 
congrats to our HR team and all the managers that helped onboard all these folks as we've ramped up. But yeah, no, I don't think we have, I don't think we've communicated that our sales team hasn't been selling. Okay. Have we? No, we have not. Okay, just checking. I just want to, but thank you for clarifying. That was misconception. Okay, and then are are volumes back up where they were pre-pandemic? Uh, I don't think we communicate to volumes, uh, other than I think we put out a report with the Commonwealth Fund that said it was within five percent, and I was like, yeah. I want to say it was sometime in January. Is that fair, Balaji? Yeah, I think it ran through early February, and then obviously, uh, you know, David, you have our you have our uh, results to look at as well. The payment, there's some correlation with payment volumes. Okay, and then just one last quick one. The cost came in a little bit higher than you know I was expecting. Quite frankly, like you know, sales and marketing, um, R and D, and then also um, G and A. Just any any thoughts around um, you know what your expected trend is for those those line items going forward for the rest of the year? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we articulated before, we continue to uh, invest in the growth. Um, you know, we invest uh, robustly in product and sales and marketing. And it's also important as we bring on new clients to make sure that we have uh, implementation and, and support resources. So, uh, you know, we expect to continue to, to make those investments. Okay, great. Thanks very much. This brings us to the end of today's Q&A session. I want to turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. I just want to take this opportunity to thank everyone at Freesia, uh, thank all of our uh, clients, and thank all of our shareholders for everyone's support. And we're really proud of what we just did this past quarter, and we look forward to working with everyone through the next couple months of the year. And uh, I hope everyone gets vaccinated if you haven't already. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone soon enough. Cheers. Thank you, everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect.